everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Check-In. Open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Tony and Draghi here joined by Andy Martinez. And Andy, the uh, at this date here, December 20th or whatever it is, Cubs still have not signed anybody. That may change depending on when you're listening or watching this, but it's been a really slow moving off season for sure. Uh, before we were coming on this pod, we were kind of just talking about should we talk more about Cody Bellinger what more is there to say I don't have anything else like Cubs need a left-handed hitter they need a guy like Bellinger he'd be a great addition to their lineup yeah I mean that's I mean status quo on Cody Bellinger I know Scott Boris made some comments to uh, WSCR 670 the score about how the Cubs would be better off with him you'd expect him to say that because he wants to get his client the most money to me it was a lot of hoopla there's there's not much more else to add, but I'm right there with you. I will say our prediction of there's going to be at least one major league signing before the end of the year, not looking good right yep. now. I'm not feeling too confident about that one. No, I, I <laughs> things always typically slow down around the holidays. Right. They don't always, right? There have been several Cubs moves right around Christmas or New Year's, but most typically around baseball, things are a bit slower for the next right. 10 days or so from December 20th through 31st through January 1st range. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll see. Maybe for you know before the new year, Cody Bellinger will be back in Cubs blue. Right, and I, I will add the quick caveat that like Yamamoto should probably sign soon. Yeah. Um, just given that his posting deadline expires on January third, so you would think he signs soon. Maybe that does spur some action um, in the week between Christmas and New Year's. But again, I, it doesn't look too promising for our prediction. Yeah, I mean, we're almost two weeks after Shohei signed, and there's been some action around baseball for sure, but there hasn't been as much of a flurry as like I was kind of yeah. expecting. I thought some of the moves, like maybe Bellinger in particular, who's the second best hitter on the market behind Shohei, would have signed a bit quicker. And and it seems like, too, that you know it's kind of down to Cubs and Blue Jays, at least unless there's a mystery team that comes in at the 11th hour. So it seems like to me that there would have been a conclusion if you had asked me the day that Shohei signed, and here we are talking December 20th. So who knows? Yeah, it, it is a little surprising. It does seem like it's a two-horse race with the Giants and Jung Hoo Lee, signing Jung Hoo Lee, and their outfield's kind of set. The Yankees obviously got Juan Soto, and their outfield seems pretty set. They also added Alex Verdugo. So it really seems like it's a two-horse race for Bellinger. But we've also seen other instances where there's guys who it's like, oh, yeah, it's clearly like this is a fit, and then they end up somewhere else. So. Yeah. And the Yankees signed Jeter again. So yeah, 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 yeah. Jeter, Jeter Downs, Downs, of course, yep. yes. Uh, all right, so let's pivot to a guy that we haven't really talked much about on this podcast here, Matt Chapman, uh, third baseman who was with the Blue Jays last year, one of the top hitters, definitely, I would say probably the top third baseman on the, on the open market right now. Uh, you know, a multi-time gold glove winner, a guy who adds a bunch on both sides of the baseball. What do you think about Matt Chapman's potential fit with the Cubs and why or why he – why why or why not, basically, what the Cubs should reach out to him? So I think in a vacuum, like one year, like in a one-year vacuum, Matt, Matt Chapman makes a ton of sense. I think for a team that predicates itself on pitching and defense, you can't get anything better uh, uh, defensively than, than Matt Chapman. And platinum glove winner, multi-time, multiple-time gold glove winner. Outside of Nolan Arenado, I think he's been, and Manny Machado, he's probably been the, the biggest name defensive third baseman in baseball since he's been in the majors. But... The things don't operate in a vacuum, and the way Matt Chapman is approaching free agent, he's probably looking for a multi-year deal, which I know we're going to get into it a little bit more in this podcast, but I'm not sure that that makes sense for the Cubs, right, going on a multi-year deal for Matt Chapman. So in a vacuum, like in 20, just 2024, does Matt Chapman make sense? Of course. Like, you bring him in, his defense greatly improves the team. The offense is what kind of scares me a little bit. He was really, really, really good in April, and then after that, 
things just kind of cratered. And is that maybe who he is? I know the bad ball data suggests that he should have been a little bit better. I'm not sure where he kind of fits. And it's kind of the Cody Be- Cody Bellinger conundrum where the batted ball data did not match up with the with the with the results. That's what I was gonna say is the exact opposite. Like Bellinger had much better resort results across the board, particularly with average than Matt Chapman did. But if you just look at the the peripheral stats, the the batted ball stats, you would say you would take if, if it was player A, player B, you would take Matt Chapman's right. batted ball stats over Cody Bellinger, yet the production was different. And a lot of that can certainly be attributed to the fact that Bellinger made clear adjustments to uh, have more contact, to be better with two strikes, things that he excelled at, which helped him hit you know around 300 all year and be so consistent regardless whether he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark or not. So uh, certainly that's, that's a big difference between Bellinger and Matt Chapman. But yeah, you're right. I think there's a, there's a lot of different aspects of Chapman that are – uh curious i guess i would say like one the main aspect is he's right-handed and the cubs are we've talked about this a lot on this podcast and just in general cubs are very right-handed they have righties pretty much across the board they don't have a lefty locked in to like a long-term slot unless you consider pca Pete armstrong in center field who we don't know for sure if he'll be starting you know opening day in center field or not and then ian happ of course a switch hitter but other than that their catchers are both righties like Patrick Wisdom is their first baseman right now, and we don't know about Matt Mervis's future. Their middle infielders are righty. Say is a righty. Like, there's just a lot of right-handed hitters in the middle of the lineup, particularly. Adding Matt Chapman to that would be, I think it would make the offense better than it stands today. It would make the defense better, certainly, than it stands today. And that's not anything against Nick Madrigal, who is very good over there. But I don't, like, at the cost of $20 million a year for four or five years, I don't know that that would necessarily be worth it or the best use of resources from a Cubs perspective. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the big thing, too, is the Cubs aren't up against the luxury tax, and they're not at the luxury tax by any means right now. But the closer you get to it, the less creative you can get, and, and maybe that affects you the next year or the year after that and, and what you can do. And is Matt Chapman necessarily worth the risk of adding $20 million to your competitive balance tax in 2024, in 2025, in 2026. I'm not so sure that that's the case. And maybe some of that money is better used in the starting pitching uh, department where they probably need another starter or in the relief market where they certainly need some more arms. Like, I, I just don't think that, it, like, again, the Cubs aren't strapped for cash. They don't need to, they can't af- uh, afford uh, this $20 million hypothetical contract from Matt Chapman. I think it's just a better use of resources uh, to use that money somewhere else than necessarily upgrading third base marginally uh, maybe at best yeah because like you said long term is more of the issue financially because yeah. you're gonna have to pay justin Steele eventually like he's only going to get more expensive in arbitration but also if you want to sign him a new extension and uh kyle hendricks to, to keep if you want to keep him around and just pitching in general is going to be more expensive for the cubs because they're either going to have to invest in guys they trade for guys in free agency or their own guys that are coming up through the system that may be cheap for a year or two or a few years but then We'll have to start, you know, making a lot more money throughout uh, throughout the arbitration process. So, yeah, certainly, I think um, it, this all is a uh, it all comes into play for the Cubs. It's all something they need to think about. And I think what you said there, improving third base marginally, is kind of the point because throughout his career, Matt Chapman has had some very good offensive seasons, but for the most part, he's been just a, a little bit slightly above average, maybe around you know eight to fifteen percent above average in terms of his OPS plus and. Again, the fact that he is right-handed, he is a very good defender, but is that a huge upgrade at third base over what the Cubs have now? Because 
we're seeing Christopher Morrell possibly play third base. We don't know for sure what position he's going to be at. Nick Madrigal was really, really surprising at third. Patrick Wisdom still around, and Miles Mastroboni is a is a good role player. And also, by the way, very important fact that he is a left-handed bat, and they just don't have too many lefties right now. So not that he's a game changer, he's not hitting in the middle of the order, but a guy that's going to hit eight or nine or maybe lead off occasionally as a lefty, kind of a big deal too. So I think that was big, but you asked me this question yesterday when we were putting together the rundown, Andy, and I thought it was a good one. What if Nick Madrigal didn't get hurt at the end of the season? Would the Cubs be in the market for third baseman? And I don't know the answer to that. I think it would certainly be a different conversation. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I, I thought it was very interesting throughout the second half of the year when the Cubs were doing well and, and pushing for a playoff spot. And even in the offseason, Jed Hoyer and company have stated like the best version of the Cubs offense was, yes, Cody Ballinger was healthy and in the middle of the lineup. But also Nick Madrigal was at third. Jamer Candelario was at first base. That was like the best version of the Cubs. It provided a little bit of balance in terms of you had that power and pop in the middle of the lineup. But then you also had Nick Madrigal at the bottom of the lineup to kind of reset things. Not to mention he was playing really good defensive third baseman. Like he was better than Nolan Arenado defensively per outs above average. Like he was a surprising factor at third base and was uh, uh, well above average that if he had stayed healthy, like, is this even a conversation? I'm not sure. Like, I think you maybe definitely look to improve just because you associate third base with some pop and some power. But Nick Madrigal was so good defensively that you would have maybe had that conversation differently. Can you count on Nick Madrigal starting 150 games at third base? Probably not. And and Yeah, because that if and his health is a huge if. It's a huge if, right? Year after year, we've seen him go down with injuries. And it seemed like 2023, 2023 excuse me, was that year where he was kind of finally coming into form and staying healthy and not having to deal with these injuries. And then he ends the season on the injured list. And, with and another hamstring. Another injury, hamstring yeah. injury, right. So, like... How does the how do the Cubs approach third base is suddenly a question just because of Nick Madrigal's health, and if he is healthy and he is hitting like he was in the summer and and putting the ball in play and, and making routine contact like that's a really really nice plus. But you just cannot count on that just given his history. Yeah, I mean, like you said, when the Cubs were at their best, it was Madrigal at third for in large part because of that defense. The Cubs and you know I remember David Ross, manager at the time, talking about where he just felt so comfortable with Nico Horner at second, Dansby Swanson at short, and then Nick Madrigal at third, and then Cody Bellinger in center field a bunch, or Mike Talkman who played really good defense, or now you insert PCA in there. Like, you feel really good about that defense, and I think the Cubs would feel really good about that if they believed or could believe strongly in Nick Madrigal staying healthy and being healthy for a full year. Something, somebody, It would kind of raise the floor of third base. I feel like if you could count on Madrigal, yes, maybe there's a way to improve. Maybe Christopher Morrell, that's the spot for him. He doesn't DH. It kind of opened up DH and adds a little bit more offense. Or maybe it's just a little bit of a revolving door of the guy that makes the most sense in the matchup. Maybe it's Mastroboni for a right-handed starter who really, really struggles against lefties. Maybe it's Morrell on a certain day when you want to get more offense in. Or maybe it's Madrigal 60 to 70% of the time. I don't really know. But the fact that we have all these question marks certainly looks like third base is a question mark this right. offseason. The one thing, though, on, on Matt Chapman, the reason why I would be hesitant to sign is because third base looks like an opening for an infielder in the Cubs system yep. to come up to take that spot and potentially move forward. Now, we don't know, again, if Morrell maybe sticks at that spot or Madrigal does or whatever. But Matt Shaw, a different Matt, is their Cubs first-round draft pick from last year. And he had an awesome start to his professional season. Can't guarantee he's going to be like a good a good major leaguer or anything like that. But if he does have a position, it probably looks like it's third base at the big league level in Chicago. 
because Nico and Dansby have second and short locked down for many years now. Yeah, he was a middle infielder in college at the University of Maryland and was all Big Ten player, set a lot of records at Maryland and was a good offensive player. And the profile always seemed like it was, uh, at least coming out of the collegiate level, it seemed similar to Nico Horner, just with more power. And we, we know what Nico Horner is, and if the best-case scenario is Nico Horner with more power, like that, the Cubs will take that in a heartbeat yeah. offensively. And he's gotten reps at third base. He played a few games uh, at double A at, at third base. Is that the, is that in 2024 where he kind of zeroes in, right? Is he getting more and more reps at third base to, to hone in on that defensively? Cause like I said, he played middle infield primarily in his collegiate career. Does he hone in on third base so that that could be an opening? I think that's another reason why it makes sense to not necessarily go after Matt Chapman, like you said, because again, in 2024 in a vacuum, perfect Matt Chapman makes a lot of sense. In 2025, does Matt Shaw on the league minimum contract make more sense than a $20 million if plus? Put, yeah, if he continues. Yeah. Right. Like, that's that's what I'm getting at. And then, therefore, you have that $20 million that you can spend on a starter, on relief help, on both, or on a potential big-name free agent that comes in 2025. Like, you just don't know these kinds of things that are happening that, uh, that or that could happen. And I think you leave yourself some more flexibility if you could do something like that. And Matt Shaw really was a fast riser through the system, started – at least in the complex league, like a lot of guys do. He played three games there, hit 500, and they're clearly like does not need to be any there anymore. Goes to high A, skips Myrtle Beach, goes to high A. He hits 393, 427, 655. Weighted runs created plus 197. Like crushes. And how many games a, was that right? And that was in 20 games, okay. 89 plate appearances. Goes to double A, 15 games, 70 plate appearances, 120 WRC plus, 292, 329, 523, slash line. He was, he is a, offensively clearly an advanced hitter if he can continue that in 2024 if he starts at double a or even goes back to high a like you can see him being a fast riser like pca was in 2023 do you see him potentially in 2024 late in the year maybe especially if that need really arises for the cubs maybe it does make sense like with pca that's why i think i'm hesitant to say like yes you want matt chapman for seven years because of the gold glove defense because I think it might limit what you can do with some of these young players that are coming up through the system. Yeah, and to be clear, we're not saying that like Matt Shaw is the right. heir apparent to third base, but we're just saying he has been so impressive, and we know the Cubs are so high on him that it's become a conversation, and it's it's not necessarily a situation where the Cubs would want to for sure block the position for the next three or four or five years when they might have an in-house option that could be uh, again, a, a star player or close to it. If we are talking about the potential for like the ceiling of Nico Horner with more pop, so I, I think that's really kind of the factor when you have some pretty good stopgap solutions in terms of Magical defensively, maybe Morel offensively, Mastroboni wisdom, like we said. Then other guys through the system, like Luis Vasquez, the Cubs protected on their forty-man roster this off-season. He's more of a middle, in, middle infielder, but he can play some third base. Chase Strumpf and Jake Slaughter both had pretty good seasons in AAA. And then B.J. Murray also is a corner infielder and, and coming up through the system. Switch hitter, at least. Everybody else is a righty. So the future starters game, too, in 2023? Yeah. So, like, I think there's enough in-house options where Matt Chapman isn't as enticing at third base. And and I think unless you had for sure, like, one, unless you had a left-handed bat, if, if Chapman was lefty, I might be talk, talking a different tune right here. I, I'm right there with you. Like, if he's a lefty, it's like, I think he's probably as high, maybe even a little higher than Cody Bellinger uh, on the, the priority wish list for the Cubs. Yeah, and, and I think 
the bigger issue is first base, it's DH, and it's maybe center field, depending on whether PCA starts or not. I think you have Mike Talkman for sure. You have Alexander Canario potentially as well. So I think you feel good about that. Like we said, if Bellinger comes back, he can play center first or DH. But to improve the Cubs lineup, it's first base and DH that that I'm looking at specifically. Again, also depending on where Morel plays. But but yeah, I, I think, you know, in going back to Talkman too, he's a really interesting one because when you were talking about the best version of the Cubs lineup towards the end of the season, for a good stretch there where the Cubs got back into it in June and July, the best version of this team and lineup in general was Mike Talkman leading off against righties and playing center field. And he had that epic catch in St. Louis to uh, walk off catch, basically. He was just a really stabilizing presence in the lineup, a, one of the best stories throughout 2023. I don't know, though, where he slots in in 2024, especially he does have that left-hand bat that we just keep harping on and talking about. But other than that, I, I don't really know because of the PCA question. Yeah, it's interesting, too. Like, we've seen with some of these veterans, too. Like, Frank Schwindel is – I'm not comparing them directly to Frank to one-to-one. But, like, we see veterans like that or guys that have kind of not been a regular major league starter or major league player. Like, the next year, like, you don't replicate that success year over year. Like, it just doesn't happen. And I think Mike Talkman's a little bit differently just because – He's had that success in 2019, and he had the success again this year. Like, I think there's a little more, uh, I'll say, like, of a safety net that he could replicate some sort of success and in the 2024. Too. Right, yeah. right. And, like, like I think what made him so good as a leadoff hitter is, like, yes, he got on base, and yes, he could hit for average, but his his at-bats were just solid, right? Like, even if he was making it out, he was seeing six, seven, eight pitches that, like, the next guy, all right, I know what this guy's throwing. Like, I think that was a little more valuable than some other veterans that – maybe have a, a good two-month stretch or a good two-week stretch, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure, like, how that kind of, play, like, pans out given what Pete Crow Armstrong is and what they expect him to be. I mean, maybe it provides a little bit more of a safety net in the sense that you can keep Mike Talkman in center field and PC obviously struggled offensively in the major leagues. You get him a little bit more seasoning down in AAA. Then you call him up and you have, first of all, that defensive stud in center field and PCA, but then you also have the cover of Mike Talkman to play some right field, to play some left field, to give you Ian Happ or say Suzuki either a full day off or a partial day off at the DH spot. I think it allows you some flexibility, especially if you can replicate that. I'm curious to see what it'll look like in 2024. I think spring training will be a good barometer of what he could be uh, or what it, what, what it could look like for the Cubs going forward. Yeah, because there's really two scenarios here. There's PCA is on the opening day roster, and in which case the Cubs are going to want him to play a ton, if not every day, nearly every day. And if he were to get a break, it would be probably against a tough left-handed starting pitcher. Well, Mike Talkman's a lefty that doesn't necessarily make your offense that much better. Like maybe it does, maybe Talkman profiles well against that particular starter. Other than that, PCA is not coming up to sit on the bench. He's going to be playing 75, 80 plus percent of the time. And like you said, too, yeah, Talkman can play the corner outfield spots, but unless there's injury, Seiya and Hap are going to be playing 75, 80, 90, nearly 100% of the time. The DH spot is possible for sure. We, As, as it stands right now where the Cubs have added nobody, Christopher Morell is essentially their only DH option, if not a guy like Talkman. But, yeah, I think that that's the other aspect, too, like I said, is PCA is in the minor leagues and Talkman is your opening day center fielder. Maybe Canario is your fourth outfielder in that case, or you sign somebody else or whatever it may be. But I think looking at both things, Talkman, there's certainly a role there. 
and it may just evolve as the season goes on, as, as 2023 did. I mean, he wasn't even on the opening date roster. I think he probably should have been in hindsight, like Luis Torrens' experiment didn't work out. If he was on the roster when Sayer was hurt for those couple of weeks, things would have been different in right field versus Mancini and Mastroboni both playing out of position there before Sayer got back. But I, I, it's just going to continue to evolve as the year goes on. He might play a super important role in April, and then he might end up not even being on the team or maybe relegated to pinch hitting and maybe occasionally DHing or playing the outfield by the time July comes around. But the fact that they have him, like you said, I think it was a good term, safety net. Like it's a good safety net for Craig Council and the team moving into the year. Yeah, and you want to have those, right? Like you don't want to have like a, an uncertainty like, well, what is it? Is it like, is it just all on PCA and he better learn how to get major league hitting between now and an opening day? Or is it like, you know, you have Mike Talkman as, a, as that safety net and that's, that's really, really valuable. And I think that's why guys like Patrick Wisdom's really valuable, right? Like, you know, you have that safety net of, if you can't, if you don't get someone in free agency or via trade, you have Patrick Wisdom. Like same thing with, with Nick Madrigal and Miles Messerbrunt. Like you need these safety nets. It's just the nature of baseball. You need these, this cover. In July, there's going to be some sort of injury or, or, or poor performance where you're going to have to rely on, on Patrick Wisdom or Miles Mastroponi. Like, that's just the nature of the game. We've seen it time and time again. You need to have all these options. And they're not the flashiest guys. They're not the, the, the most appealing names. But they're just as 100% necessary as the big names that you target in free agency or via trade. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. When we come back... We're going to talk a little bit about the other moves from some teams around the National League and also the top 10 games from the Cubs 2023 season. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. All right, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Tony Andrecki here joined by Andy Martinez. And Andy, while the Cubs have not made moves, other teams around the National League certainly have been pretty busy. One in the Cubs division, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who we'll get to in a bit. But the Arizona Diamondbacks, the team that represented the National League in the World Series this past fall, they've been pretty active. They've, they've brought back Lourdes Gurriel. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> they brought him back for the outfield. Uh, they have Eduardo Rodriguez added the rotation, which is pretty, uh, a pretty big signing. Yeah. And then Eugenio Suarez, they also traded for as well. So brings a little bit more offense when you add the, you know, Gurriel coming back as well. And they still have like Corbin Carroll, Cattell Marte, Christian Walker, Gabriel Moreno looks like a star at catcher now. Like, what a trade with the Blue Jays too, now that Gurriel is back as well. Like, Varsha was good in Toronto, but this is a great trade for the Dimebacks. This is like a total fleece, I, I think. But yeah, you're right. Like, it, it's, it makes them even better. I don't think... Let me rephrase that. I know they're not probably at the Dodgers level, but they're, that's a really, really good team. And as we've seen, like you don't necessarily have to win the division to show that you can go on a run in, in October. Yeah, I mean, they were they were one game better than the Cubs, but they certainly peaked at the right time. I mean, they went into October on a, a pretty good hot streak overall. I, they took, what, was it six out of seven from the Cubs, right? You know, during the, the few weeks there in September. But yeah, I mean, their pitching staff, when you add Rodriguez in with Zach Gallen, who was a Cy Young finalist, and Merrill Kelly, who was one of the better pitchers in the National League throughout the year, too, it's a pretty good rotation. The entire bullpen, I believe, is back from the, the World Series team, which 
was pretty underrated. There were some guys, there were some, there was almost everybody I'd never heard of yeah. basically before September, and they were pretty good. They were a lot better than I thought. They totally remade that bullpen in the middle of the year, which I think is like a, is a, maybe like a example for other teams in, throughout baseball. Like, just because your bullpen might look like one thing or might be a weakness early on in the season doesn't mean you can rechange, like you can, you can change it. Thompson was not on the opening day roster and he was a big piece of their bullpen. Kevin Ginkle, like that came out of nowhere. Uh, Seawald was a trade midseason. Like there were so many guys that they were bringing in. Like uh, Sal Frank was another guy. Like there, it's just like guys you haven't heard of were getting big outs. And I thought the biggest question mark for them was their, their rotation. It was really Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly and then Brandon Fott yeah. really emerged in the playoffs. And I remember seeing him against the Cubs and, and I think it was like here at Wrigley. I'm like, I like this guy. I don't, I don't know what the rotation is because this guy does not look good. And then in the playoffs, you're like, Oh my God, this guy's like really, really good. So you have those three and you added Eduardo Rodriguez. Like that's the making of a really, really good rotation that you can carry throughout the season. Yeah. And you never underestimate the power of October too. Like we said with Gabriel Moreno or Brendan Fott, like, those guys we can see very similar to what Randy Rosarena did or even Daniel Murphy if you go back something that hurts Cubs fans hearts I know but like those guys had epic falls epic Octobers and then they parlayed that into changing of their careers I mean from Daniel Murphy he was always a pretty good player had a really good season in 2015 but had this absolutely epic fall and then he was just a different hitter like one of the best if not the best hitter at times in Major League Baseball after that like that level of confidence of knowing that you can do it on the biggest stage, I think certainly impacts players. And for those two guys in particular, they're going to make the Diamondbacks a better team. And the reason why it's important from the Cubs perspective is one, like you said, I think it's a good learning tool for sure. Is like, you don't have to be the best team. You don't have to be the Dodgers. You don't have to spend the most money. You don't have to win 106 games in the regular season. You have to get in, see what happens. And maybe some of these guys can break out. Maybe you, you, hit everything at the right time as we know even if the Cubs got in last year they didn't seem to be clicking on all cylinders as they were going into the postseason like they they would have kind of limped or almost backed into the postseason but you know there's there's that level of importance and then certainly the fact that in the NL (laughs) between the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks and then oh yeah by the way the Braves who set a record for home runs last year and have retained a lot of guys in their core like there are some really good teams in the National League that have nothing to do with the Cubs division that the Cubs will have to get past if they want to get back to where they want to go in the, the promised land of the World Series here. It's not including like the Phillies too, who yeah. also made the playoffs, the Marlins who were an upstart team and have really good young pitching that they'll probably be able to trade for, away from to even augment their roster even more. Like The Mets, the, the, the Met- richest owner in baseball. Right, like yeah. there's so many of these teams that like you, you can see them coming and, and like the Reds, another young team within the division. Like there, there's a lot of, exciting teams that are coming and like it it's not a direct uh effect to the cubs per se but it is a a larger effect to the cubs because you have to get through these teams in some way to to get to to get to the world series and we've seen it time and time again like i think if you looked at the roster at the beginning of of october if you looked at the diamondbacks roster compared to all the other nl teams you would have said that's probably the fifth best roster at like in in the playoffs like that's not as good I didn't think it was as good as the Milwaukee's. I didn't think it was as good as the Dodgers. I didn't think it was as good as the Phillies or the Braves. And they were the ones that, that ran in. Like, you just have to get in. Like, you just have – that's all it takes is just get in and anything can happen. And it's re- repetitive and redundant. Like, it's so cliche, but you really just have to get in. So one team that does hit a little bit closer to home for the Cubs is the Pirates. Nobody's thinking that the Pirates are going to be the, the class of the NL Central. I'm not necessarily saying that, but – 
as you reminded me too, the Pirates were in first place for a portion of 2023. In June, I think as late as in June. Yeah, so I mean, they were playing pretty well. Like they really, I think they lost like nine or 10 games in a row or whatever, a bunch of those to the Cubs in that span. But they surprised a lot of people and they've had a decent off season. Like they've added Martin Perez and Marco Gonzalez, the rotation, picked up Rowdy Tellez on a three and a half million dollars. Yeah, one year, three and a half million. Yeah, like that's a pretty good move. Uh, Resign Andrew McCutcheon, like, the Pirates are not necessarily going to be, and they proved this last year already, they're not the pushover that we've seen from them for the last few years prior to that. And I think that does impact the division, it impacts the Cubs, because with the Cardinals adding a bunch to, to their biggest hole on their roster with the pitching staff, as you said, the Reds are on the rise. The Brewers, even if they trade Corbin Burns, aren't necessarily like just taking a big step back. This could be a, a dogfight for the Cubs in the division in 2024. Yeah, I don't think this is a this is a signal by the Pirates saying like we're going all in right. and, we're, and, and we believe we can win the division. But I think what it certainly says is like this division is very wide open. And are these guys are these moves guaranteeing ninety five wins for the Pirates? Probably not. But if they can play to like their maybe like sixty fifth or seventy fifth percentile of expected performance, maybe now you become a, a, a playoff contender or pushing. To in September, kind of like the Cubs did in 2023. I think those that's kind of what they're going for. You got to remember too, like they got Brian Hayes, one of the best young third basemen in baseball. They're bringing back O'Neill Cruz, who Ellie, he was Ellie De La Cruz before Ellie De La Cruz, if that's uh. even a thing. And he suffered the the leg, the I think it was like a leg fracture, an ankle fracture, missed all of 2023. Like he's coming back. There's a lot of intriguing pieces that, yeah, like they're not going to be that team where it's like. All right, the Pirates, two out of three coming, like, no problem. Like, I don't think that's the case anymore. And are they going to be winning the division? Probably not. But I don't think that it's a team that you can write off by any means either. Yeah, it's not a team that we're just instantly penciling into last place anymore, which is a big factor. They could finish in third or fourth or whatever. But, yeah, they're not the pushover they once were. All right, so let's take a quick look back to at the top ten games of 2023. And, We're going to be airing on Marquee Sports Network each night starting December 22nd through the end of the year. All of these top 10 games in in their entirety or most of their entirety, obviously sometimes cut short for time. But it's one of the cooler things that I think we do around here is re-airing some of the best games uh, from the year. And honestly, there was a ton of really good ones. There there were some painful losses maybe at times through 2023, but there were a lot of really, really good games. And number 10 on Friday, December 22nd, Jamison Tyon's eight shutout innings at the Cubs' first ever win at this new Yankee Stadium. I thought that was a pretty good game. And also, like, for Tyon, too, it, it kind of started his second half. It, it was an impactful game, for sure. Yeah, it was It was a memorable game, for sure, in New York. And, and one that it's kind of seemed like the, the turning point a little ways for the season. That was a good one. Uh, the nine, number nine game on the list, airing on December 23rd. It's from uh, May 29th, 2023. Marcus Stroman tosses a one-hit shutout on Memorial Day against the uh, league-leading Tampa Bay Rays at Wrigley Field. Win of Can't the year at the one. time. Yeah. yeah, they think that was the win of the year, and that was kind of like, uh, at least early on in the season, you're thinking, like, Stroman might be building a special season. Uh, we know injuries and poor performance cut that short, but it seemed like it was the, the building of something special for Stroman. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so Christmas Eve, 8 p.m., the 24th here. It was the Cubs' comeback in Crosstown, the largest comeback in Crosstown series history on the south side. They were losing 7-2 after four innings, ended up beating the White Sox. That, to me, is my favorite game, I think, on this list. Or Obviously, there are some others, which we'll get to, but this is one that I'm certainly going to like DVR and check out because I really want to go back and relive that. And I think just the fact that it was Crosstown uh, was 
was really impactful, but it was also one of the games that Jed Hoyer pointed to as to why the he felt like the Cubs were a team to buy and not sell the deadline because they, they showed that ability to come back in games. Yeah, uh, number seven airing on Christmas Day, Monday, December 25th. From July 5th, 2023, the Cubs were trailing 3-1 to one and down to the last out, and they scored three runs to come back and beat the Brewers at American Family Fields. It was a memorable July 4th weekend or series. I think they split that those four games. Yeah, they split. Yeah. But it was one of those splits that felt like they won that series because of everything that went on. And we'll get to another game from that series on this list. But, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so December 26th, 7 p.m., number six, opening day. Dansley Swanson had three hits in his debut. Uh, the Cubs shut out Milwaukee. Pretty big win all around. Not much else to say there. Yeah, uh, December 27th, game number five. Uh, I remember this one vividly. I'm sure a lot of Cubs fans do too. Uh, April 21st, 2023. That's the one where Jan Gomes tackled Drew Smiley. Yes, exactly. Drew Smiley, Drew Smiley flirts with a perfect game, uh, retires the first 21 batters in the Cubs 13 to nothing win. I remember it was the the being at that game. It's like, I might be covering history. This might be really, really cool. And then the, the famous line that David Ross uh, iterated, uh, I was going to ride Drew Smiley harder than Jan did. Like, I thought that was just a, one of those mo- fun moments early on in the season. All right, so I was not there. I uh, happened to be uh, in the hospital for the birth of my daughter at yeah. the time. But you were there. If Jan doesn't tackle Drew, does Smiley finish out the no-hitter or perfect game? Or I, Wait, it was a perfect game, right? At it was that a point. perfect game. Does he finish out the no-hitter or perfect game? So, so I think... If he was going to finish it, he was going to – just because he – at that time, he wasn't walking, guys. So, like, I, I think it would have been, like it, – it, it, he was either going to do it or he wasn't. Like, it wasn't like he was going to get either the no-hitter or the perfect game. Like, he was either going to get a perfect game or was going to come short. I'm I'm not sure. Like, I think if he gets that, he maybe does. But we know, like, that ninth inning, like, at that point, you're you're not the same pitcher you were. Like, the adrenaline's running through you. You're probably, like – super amped up the, the the fielders feel a little nervous because it's also on them in a perfect game like i'm not so sure but we'll, we'll never know and and yeah. even that play even if drew smiley gets to it cleanly i'm not sure if they get peralta just because of how bang bang it w- would have been but it would have been i mean we just won't we'll never know and instead it's a it's a fun story for all of us to to be able to recall yeah i mean in some ways it's it's almost the equivalent of a perfect game because it's such a memorable moment and it's one of those things that I think we'll stand out in Cubs history for a long time for sure. Agreed. And I think it's something that too that Drew Smiley can look back on and even like laugh about was like he had one of the best games pitched of his entire career and also this like really funny moment and stuff after and Jan Gomes had a great sense of humor about it. It was just a cool moment for sure, I thought, all the way throughout. Uh the number four game. I thought this should have been a little bit higher on the list. They did not consult me when making <laughs> this order, but it was the Mike Talkman walk-off catch in in center field in St. Louis. We talked about it earlier in this podcast, but I mean, what a win. What an ending to a game. I can't remember another ending to the game. I do remember Albert or not Albert, <laughs> Albert Almora Jr. making a, a similar type of catch uh in center field. I think I believe it was to knock the Cardinals out to like rob a homer in St. Louis uh, in 2017. Is that right, Kyle? Shaking your head, yes. Uh, in 2017. So it was somewhat similar, but this one meant a ton because it was right before the deadline. The Cubs were on this roll. It looked like they they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. It was just an awesome, awesome game overall. Yeah, I remember being out there, and I remember it was hit, and I thought it was a fly ball. And I know I've said this on multiple times on the podcast, but I thought it was a routine fly ball to center field to end the game. And then Mike Talkman just keeps going back and back and back to where I think, oh, they just walked it off. And then the Cubs walked it off just because it was the final out. Like, yeah. it, was, it was just crazy sequence. For sure. Um, game number three airing on Friday, December 29th. 
uh, from April 11, 2023. You and I definitely remember this one. The Cubs were trailing 7-0 to the Mariners in the second inning, and they responded with an eight-run third inning to take the lead, highlighted by Nelson Velasquez's uh, go-ahead grand slam. With Jed in the booth, too, at the time. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I believe it was like Boog and and Jed were joking like, oh, like, let's make a comeback or something like that. I can't remember the the exact phrasing of it, but I remember it was just like one of those where it's like they just kept chipping away. And then that grand slap happened happened and you're like, wow, like, what did we just witness? And it was one of those where I think maybe the weather had something to do with it, but it felt like a September game or an October game, especially with how the crowd was into it. It It's just one of those memorable nights um, from from the 2023 season. Yeah, I'm a sucker for comeback wins, especially when it's like sat down 7-0 even that early in a game. So that was a good one. Uh, So the number two on Saturday, December 3rd, this one airs at 8 p.m. It was Haps Heroics from, you alluded to this already, from the July 4th series that week in Milwaukee. He threw out not one, but two guys in the ninth and 10th innings to, to help the Cubs get to a victory. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was, or sorry, was it 10th, 10th and 11th? 10th, 10th and 11th innings to to have the Cubs get the victory. And then Dana Palencia was on the mound making his big league debut. Just pretty epic game all around. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember when Daniel Palencia came in, it's like, oh man, like, I don't think the Cubs are winning this. Like, how can you trust a kid making his major league debut to pull off this win? And he, he worked, especially with the ghost runner and everything. And he worked out of it. Like it was, it was kind of incredible. It was one of those that I know he remembers it. I remember talking to him at the end of the season, just because he, that's where he made his debut and it was the end of the year. I remember him saying like, he'll never forget being at American family fields, but yeah, it was, it was a, definitely one of those signature wins for the Cubs. That might've been the game too, that helped Hap get his second straight goal glove. Cause yeah. like that was super high profile defensive, um, contributions I guess in a year where his numbers weren't as great defensively as they were in 2022 when he won the gold glove and and was very very deserving of it but he was very he was a weapon with his arm out there and that was that was a perfect example of it yeah I feel like 2022 was more of a highlight of his uh, ability to catch the ball and, and and routes and things like that and I felt like 2023 was a little bit more of his arm and showing that he he can also do that too um game number one the number one game of the year airing on New Year's Eve uh, Sunday, December 31st, August 16th, 2023. I'm sure you guys know what's coming. The Cubs are trailing 3-1 to one in the bottom of the ninth, and Christopher Morrell hits a walk-off grand slam against – or three-run homer, excuse me, against the White Sox to to cap the, the Cubs' comeback win. Christopher Morrell goes crazy, takes off his shirt, rounding third base. Like I mean, it's one of the iconic moments from the – the Crosstown Classic. I think the the iconic moment of the Crosstown Classic would have been the day before from Luis Robert, and then somehow, some way, um, Christopher Morrell usurps that and just makes that a memorable one of those that will be played for years to come. Oh yeah, I mean that that's exactly what I was gonna say. It's a it's a game that Cubs fans will be talking about for literally generations. Like I was at that game, or I remember watching that game, and again, it didn't end up leading to a playoff berth or anything else, but it was. I think this was a special year in a lot of ways for the Cubs, and it was wins like that or that comeback wins or the walk-off one in, in uh, St. Louis. It was just there were a lot of really cool, really exciting wins, but none could come close to that moment. And just the celebration, the awesome drone shot we had on Marquee of it, it was, just, it was just a perfect ending to a game, as perfect as you can script basically you know since the David Bodie ultimate grand slam for sure. Yeah, I agree. Like that's that's you, you could not have a – Hollywood screenwriter come up with something better than that and just given the year for morale where he starts in the minor leagues and goes on a tear and then hits big home run after big home run I I mean I think it was just a fitting fitting end for him uh, in that game 
yeah, so those would be a lot of fun. Definitely be sure to tune in to Marquee Sports Network. Again, that's from December 22nd through the end of the year. Uh, so check out all those games. And then stay tuned to the Cubs Weekly Podcast next week where we will have our best of 2023 Cubs Weekly Podcast. Bunch of interviews from throughout the year. Just some of the greatest segments uh, from each week that we've done this podcast. That'll do it for this edition. For Andy, I'm Tony. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us all throughout 2023 here.